Tom Temin here. Joining me now, TIBCO's Matt Quinn, Chief Technology Officer and Executive Vice President of Products and Technology. Let's first begin with the cyber-physical systems and how the whole idea of digital and physical merging is affecting data, data analysis, and cybersecurity. Sure. You know, that's a, it's a pretty broad area. And um, what's very interesting is that we, we've talked for many, many years about this, this merging of, of digital and, and physical, uh, and specifically uh, in the area of, uh, of cybersecurity and security in general. Um, what we're also now seeing is this very interesting phenomena in that uh, physical assets um, are, are now actually have a what we would kind of call a digital shadow, um, you know, either in the cloud or, or just from a from a data perspective. Uh, and these digital shadows effectively are now the window um, that the digital world has into uh, an ever increasing uh, physical world. And the, the amount of data that you now have available is, is obviously increasing exponentially because of that. Now, you know, un- unfortunately, as, as we are kind of rushing into this, this merging of, of digital and physical, um, you know, the, the, the whole idea of security and what security means uh, in that particular world is, uh, is rapidly changing. Um, you know, just simply having access to, to that, uh, that amount of information um, at, at that level of granularity and detail is uh, is sometimes frightening to people, uh, but obviously it gives uh, gives rise to to new attack vectors um, that uh, that perhaps we didn't uh, didn't contemplate kind of 10, 15 years ago, where those worlds were were relatively separate, um, and that's given rise to really a kind of almost a new vein of of big data analysis um, that's not looking for kind of opportunities from a business point of view. Um, but is really looking at uh, at kind of more of the, the threat vectors and, and abnormal behavior that um, uh, that was only guessed at when the worlds were separate. Uh, but now, obviously, we have uh, you know we have access to so much more information that the picture is starting to become uh, a lot clearer. That the challenge ahead of us is that the tools that we use um, to do this uh, are going to have to get more sophisticated. Um, because both the the amount of data available is is so large, uh, but also because the granularity of the data is so small, it's kind of the big small problem. Um, you know, you've, you've got you know literally terabytes and petabytes now of of data, actionable data, but each element is is so small that uh, taken in isolation, it doesn't really deliver you much. Um, and so the creation of of context uh, and timely context of that small piece of information uh, really becomes absolutely critical to uh, to cybersecurity in this uh, in this new world. So that gives rise to the need, I would think, for a different generation of tools to, in effect, become a almost metadata source for the tools that are doing the original data gathering of all the different streams, cyber, physical, whatever it might be. Yeah, and that's and this is actually where uh, there there is a, a very interesting problem that uh, that you start to see that we've seen before, um, but but I think it's become even larger. And that is, it's you know computers and 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 complex systems uh, have for for a while um, done a pretty good job of identifying uh, abnormalities, uh, and obviously uh, the the popularity of of machine learning and pattern recognition has really amped that up to the to the next level. 
Um, and that, I think, is a really good thing. And that actually goes and speaks to a little bit of the, the changing of the tools. But what's also very interesting is that the challenge is now not only going to be do I have sophisticated new tools to, to recognize these abnormal patterns? But what do I do about it? And so let me kind of give you a scenario. You know, imagine I've got you know, tens of thousands of these digital shadows that, that represent kind of physical things uh, in, the, uh, in the real world. Every one of them is producing uh, a vast amount of information very, very quickly. You know, literally, you know, it could be thousands of times per second uh, that they're producing uh, sensor information or, or instrumentation. Um, we'll have the tools, uh, and we're starting obviously to develop more and more sophisticated tools to apply things like machine learning and pattern recognition and broader AI technology to identifying uh, and creating context. Now the challenge is I have to do something about it. So now that I've identified the problem, I now actually have to, you know, either in an automated fashion or in a manual fashion, you know, uh, address the threat, so to speak. Um, and that's actually always been a bit of the problem. Identifying problems can be more easy in some ways than actually suggesting the, the, the next best action, if you will. Uh, businesses struggled with this for years. You know, identifying issues in supply chain is one thing. Uh, rectifying that in an automated, a fully automated fashion um, is, uh, is somewhat difficult. In the cybersecurity world, you have potentially you know, tens of thousands of different attack vectors. You have a vast amount of information that you're collecting. Um, you can identify the patterns, but now you've got to work out what to do with it. And at that speed, it can be quite problematic to, um, to put people in it. But people still, and, and will be for a long period of time, are still the best processes of context uh, in suggesting kind of the next best action um, to uh, to alleviate the uh, the issue or to address the threat. Now, federal agencies are under a policy of having continuous monitoring of their networks, which is a pretty broad term, and also continuous diagnostics and mitigation of threats that might be coming in. How does this data analytical requirement and also the large volume of data affect what it is you monitor and how you monitor it? Well, and that's this is um, this is actually one of the kind of classic problems. So, so obviously there's a lot of uh, potential risk for in fully automated systems to be uh, both doing the monitoring uh, and also to be uh, suggesting the, uh, the corrective uh, actions. Uh, at small scale and at real time, um, I think that that is, uh, is quite useful because obviously people can't be in that loop at that, uh, at that deep level. It's just too fast and, and too frequent. Um, what uh, what ends up happening is that you you really have to deal with kind of the the almost the macro issues, um, and so the continuous monitoring systems uh, can't just identify the the patterns uh, abnormal or otherwise. They've got to up level it to such a point that a, a person can actually be in the loop to um, to take an action without deluging them with either false positives. Or correct positives, but just at a rate that they can't uh, they can't deal with, and that's that's probably the area where um, you know systems need to evolve uh, such that they they're giving people um, and systems the, the the proper kind of right context, if you will, the, the high level context, the macro context uh, in which to uh, in which to kind of take that corrective action, and that's you know I think that that is that is an area. Um, that I think both from a, a populist point of view, um, you know, kind of looking at it in the general populace, uh, 
uh, as well as from a um, uh, 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 from from a you know, what the systems actually need to do. That is always going to be a bit of the the push and the pull, where you know people are going to want people in the loop in these systems, but at the rate that they're generating information and, and providing that analysis. Um, it's probably too fast unless you've got an army of people to, to be uh, to be sitting there watching the screens as they go past. Um, providing that right macro level context is is always tricky because you may have missed something at the lower levels that didn't bubble up. That is actually the the key to the puzzle, if you uh, if you will, to the uh, to the threat vector. And given the proliferation of threat vectors and just the speed at which they occur and so on. Can many of these responses that humans would ordinarily do, can that be orchestrated by the system so that humans can really concentrate on on the analytical part of this and the predictive analysis, which we also want to get into? Yeah, and that's, and that's actually um, where, again, we're starting to see the rise of, of the broader kind of artificial intelligence space uh, providing uh, better tools. So, so one of the things that, that AI does pretty good uh, in certain contexts, is it can reduce the cognitive load on on people as they're trying to uh, assimilate uh, vast quantities of information to to put that human intelligence um, to task, and that that uh, that side of things I think is is seeing a huge explosion in in both research and development, uh, and I actually am I'm quite confident that uh, we're going to see some pretty interesting breakthroughs. You know, I don't think we're going to see the the hell nine thousands of the world just yet, but but the ability for these for these intelligent systems um, to to help people uh, from an orchestration point of view and to to kind of uh, almost prod them in the right direction without uh, taking a leading hand, uh, I think is is instrumental to uh, to future success because as you said, the threat vectors are, are magnifying, the amount of data is magnifying. Um, you know, there is a, a, an explosion of potential weaknesses, especially as we start to think about uh, IoT. Um, and so being able to continually evolve uh, while reducing the cognitive load on people as they're making decisions is going to be critical to success. Let's talk about cloud for a moment, because given the volumes of data we're, we've been talking about here, cloud storage and cloud uh, house hosting is going to be something that I think agencies are going to be looking more at. Does the application of data and data analytics to cybersecurity also in some strange way affect the network architecture that you should be employing? Yeah, I, I think this has been um, <laughs> this, this has been a, a very interesting topic for many years. You know, certainly on the on the business side and in, in government, um, you know, cloud was for many years was seen as as a little a little less secure than uh, than what uh, what networks people ran and built. Um, inside firewalls, um, you know, as the the cloud services have matured, uh, that problem has has largely gone away from a network security point of view. You know, obviously we had the uh, the DIN outage uh, last year, um, which I think was uh, based on a, a pretty distributed uh, attack. Um, you know, so there there are still weaknesses, but in comparison to uh, internal networks, the cloud has I think proven that it's uh, it is pretty robust. Uh, in the way that it's been designed, I think the interesting challenge going forward, both from an informational uh, system architecture as well as from a, a physical cloud architecture, um, is that you're now not only going to be dealing with uh, important services, but now you're also going to be storing important data because you're going to need 
uh, vast amounts of storage. Uh, oftentimes, that storage is not permanent. Uh, in other words, you don't need to store all of the the sensor information for every kind of millisecond that we uh, that we took a recording. And so, as we up level that information, um, the there's kind of two issues. One is, you know, do we have the right um, security architecture and governance architecture uh, in the cloud for the storage and retrieval of that information? Um, and what changes are required, not just on the, the cloud side, but also in the way that, uh, that organizations are organized? You know, we've gone from worlds where a lot of data was, was stored in silos. Uh, the cloud broke down a lot of those barriers and, and allowed people to get access to more information. But as the information and data gets richer, um, the security controls and the governance around that information and the organizational changes it will affect uh, are going to be quite dramatic. Um, now, obviously, the other challenge you have with with cloud and IoT is because you've got and this this notion of a digital shadow is you've got this huge amount of information um, that you're really trying to process in real time. Um, cloud still does represent, uh, in most cases, not all cases, uh, some latency when it comes to network uh, because you're really dealing with virtual networks in in some distant uh, location rather than a, a data center, say for uh, four stories below you. Um, and we're having to think more and more about latency and speed of light uh, of transmission of, of information um, than ever before. So for example, you know, a sensor reading on an IoT network distant from the cloud infrastructure could introduce um, you know, seconds of, of delay in processing, um, which could impact the um, the delivery of a uh, an adjustment or um, uh, you know a, a response to a particular threat because the information may be a little stale uh, in comparison to to how speedy the attack vector may be coming in, uh, and so these are all you know, these are all really good challenges to have though because these are things that need to be solved regardless. Um, I think that the the rise of uh, of the the cybersecurity threat on on such a large scale. Uh, does bring a a, um, a level of, of focus, uh, which I think is really good for the industry. And finally, I think a lot of agencies, a lot of practitioners in cybersecurity realize that sometimes you have to be a little bit more active in your response. We won't say aggressive in the response, but active in the response. And so that requires more knowledge of attribution. Do you think that in all of this data and in the analytics we apply to it, it's possible to improve the chances of accurate attribution of the sources of an attack. Yeah, that that is that is a a, a good, you know, that is a, a really deep and good question because this, I think, you know, that the question of attribution uh, and being able to, uh, I guess, from a uh, one way to think about it is is often the best defense is an offense. Um, is is to you know. <sighs> Is when you think about the problem of attribution, is you know identifying you know, the uh, uh, the agent behind uh, or the the force behind it, that can be really tricky because you are trying to piece together vast amounts of information, um, and if it was all just information that was that was coming from the the network and from the cloud, you may get a pretty good uh, level of attribution. But you're not just dealing with information that's coming digitally. You're also now dealing with information that you have to process from outside of those networks that may have been compromised. You know, you've got uh, you know you've got a human element that has to 
provide some information and context that may come from other sources to help with the attribution. And that, again, I think is where, you know, AI being able to um, look at and do things like natural language processing of, uh, of speech and of, uh, of text uh, in combination with, uh, with other softer parts of information with what I would classify as kind of the hard information that you're getting from networks and from, from, uh, from sensors kind of needed to be melded together. Uh, and that today is a bit of an imperfect science. Um, I think that people are going to need to be in the loop for quite some time to, to help with the idea of attribution. Um, but it's certainly improving. And it's, and it's improving not just because it's a, a desired outcome in cybersecurity, but it's a desired outcome also in the, in the commercial world and also on the consumer side um, to have the, you know, even consumer-level natural language tools uh, available to, uh, to help do, uh, do certain tasks. So I think that you know this is one of those very unique, rare times where uh, you're seeing a convergence, I think, of uh, of technology, of approach, and of research uh, that's not just going to be for the consumer world or the commercial world, but also for um, uh, for the government world. Um, and that's really good to see because it's been a while uh, since we've had such a such a convergence, uh, especially on the uh, in the IT side. Matt Quinn is TIBCO's Chief Technology Officer and Executive Vice President of Products and Technology. I'm Tom Temin.